0: Hello and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. Today we're going to be having a unique conversation. We are going to be talking about the top five things that we each have learned since working in this field. And in preparing for this, we were kind of wondering, okay, are we all going to have the same thing? Like, is there really that many different things that we've all learned? And the answer is yes. Uh, We can definitely (laughs) relate across a lot of these things, but there's also also some unique things. Uh, We'll have a little bit of fun with it. We'll take some of them, of course, with the subject matter we work in. We will be taking this subject pretty deep. Uh, But we will also keep it light as well with some of the things that we're talking about. So let's jump into it. Let's hear the five things that we have each learned in our time working in the domestic violence and sexual assault and child abuse fields.
1: I am just so excited for this episode. Um, I can go ahead and kind of start us off. So the first thing I've learned working in this field is how important it is to use supportive language. And so it's not always so easy to be mindful of the language that we use, but it is so important and critical for us to make sure that we are using supportive language, right? Especially when it comes to responding to disclosures, even in conversations with others, you know, maybe someone's talking about a story of sexual assault or domestic violence, right? It is so critical and important for us to use supportive language, right? So yeah, that sounds like something really difficult that they experienced, you know? Or if someone says something that is not appropriate, like, I wonder what they were wearing, right? Or um, I wonder if it was because of them drinking so much that that sexual assault happened, right? It's so important for us to use that supportive language and be like, you know, there's no excuse for that type of abuse, right? Um, or if they were drinking, that is the exact reason why that person should have not had, you know, any type of sexual intercourse with them. And so with that being said, very often what we see is Survivors of abuse, it's feeling shame, right? or feeling uh, really bad about what has happened and kind of you know blaming themselves for it. And one thing that Brene Brown really does a good job talking about, and for those that don't know who Brene Brown is, she's this amazing author, has a lot of amazing books. so definitely check her out. Um, but yes. what this really talks about is how guilt is adaptive and helpful but feeling ashamed can be an intensely uh, intensely painful feeling or experience, you know? And so it's really important to know that when someone feels ashamed, they may believe that they are flawed um, and therefore even unworthy of love and belonging. And because of that shame, you know, we may believe that we've experienced, what we've experienced done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection, right? Which can play a really critical, Uh, role in our life right can really impact us in such a negative way and so again you know us using supportive language can really help survivors not feel that shame right Um, reminding them that what has happened to them is not their fault right Um, if they for some reason feel guilty of something even though we always say there's no excuse for abuse right Um, letting them know that feeling guilty is okay but feeling ashamed is not okay, right? Um, And so again, I'm just highlighting this because it's very common for victims of abuse to feel shame. And we don't want them to feel like that when they have experienced something so traumatic already, right, and so again, just making sure that we're using that supportive language. Also, if someone is disclosing, making sure that the language that we're using is empowering them, is supporting them, right? Um, Is not making them feel, you know, alone, ashamed, or, making them feel like they are to blame, right? And so again, you know, just be mindful of the language that you use. You can really make a difference when it comes to someone coming forward and disclosing. I've had situations where, you know, someone has disclosed to me and not even in my professional work life, they have just, disclosed to me because of a conversation we're having about sexual assault right or domestic violence and because i'm using supportive language like there's no excuse for abuse right or that is not okay right that does not sound like respect and that person deserves to be respected i've had people that i don't even know really disclose to me or talk to me about their experience because they feel like i've kind of opened up that door right of making them feel safe or making them feel like i have some type of understanding in regards to that type of abuse
2: that's so important i'm so happy you bring that up because what a common go to i think for so many people to hear about some kind of an experience with an assault right or an unhealthy relationship or violence and immediately it's like our culture really reinforces victim blaming and that's something we're going to spend a whole episode talking about um Probably within the next few episodes. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But yeah, victim blaming, it's so pervasive. It's really kind of where people's minds tend to go to. It's like, well, what were you doing there? Why did you drink that much? Why were you dressed like that? Which are all basic human freedoms we all have, right? To kind of, um, where what we want and drink if we're of age. And so, yeah, I love that you bring that up first and foremost. And so to kind of carry on, I will share my first um, bit of information I've took away from working in this field, uh, that boundaries are so important. And I know we just did an entire episode on boundaries. If you have not listened into that, I encourage you to go back and check that out and get a really full conversation on boundaries and how to incorporate them in your life. But yeah, I, for so long, I think um, was just in such kind of a frame of mind with my work that it's just go, 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 go. And you know, being in this kind of a field where it's so mentally draining sometimes, right? We, we all know that firsthand, how if we're not doing self-care, if we're not setting boundaries for ourselves, it's so easy to kind of feel very in over your head, right? We're dealing with things that are triggering for us or re-traumatizing for us or just really difficult to hear in general, right? not even based on our experiences. Um, And so at first I feel like I was just trying to kind of take everything on. So any presentation, any kids group, any chance to get to the community and just felt after a while that I had really, like, I was just constantly kind of what Brie mentioned in our episode about boundaries, like pouring from this very empty cup. And it started to hit me like, yeah, I want to do you know really great prevention i want to speak to everybody i want to help everybody but i can't do that if i'm spread so thin that i can't be there mentally 100% right or very, very present in that moment to really be connected with what I'm doing, if I'm yeah, exhausted, or if I'm just in a space where I'm kind of not okay, right, based on the things I've been talking about, or the things I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's something I'm not perfect at it. I'm still practicing boundaries, especially within work, as well as my entire rest of my personal life. But yeah, I really had to focus on making it a priority to set boundaries and to really just slow down and make sure not only I'm setting them, but I'm
0: maintaining these boundaries for myself as well. Yeah, that's so true that I think the work life boundaries and just making sure that you're, we can get so passionate about this work. And so making sure that you're taking care of yourself while still serving out your passion, that's so important to have that balance especially virtually
2: too, right? I feel like now it's like, because we're virtual, you know, meetings are just like back to back to back to back because they're expecting that we can just log off and log back in, but it's like, I want maybe a minute to get a glass of water and like go to the bathroom and eat lunch, right? So yeah, so I was really happy to be able to first and foremost, bring that one up today. I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there,
0: not just within our field, right? That
2: could Mm -hmm. probably take that away,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. My first takeaway, uh, or something that I've learned, experienced while working in this field, uh, when I actually interviewed for this job, I remember them saying something about there being a a reservation in our community, and I didn't really think too much of it because I didn't know how much it was really going to influence my job and my work there. And then my first couple days that I was on the job, I remember my supervisor at the time, she was like, well, have you ever been out to the reservation? Have you ever driven by it? And I was like, I'm completely unfamiliar. I don't even know where it is. And so we went um, on a drive and I was able to see just how close it actually was physically to our office. It's about two and a half miles from our office. And as I was going through the work, I realized just how much we do interact with that community. And so I had to learn that You can't just because you have a role of, you know, educating people or helping people with sexual assault and domestic violence, that doesn't mean that you can waltz into any room that you may or may not be invited in and to just like talk about it, like you're talking about how to make a grilled cheese or something like that, like there, (laughs) there is a level of relationship building and trust that has to be built in a community like that. Um, You know, the county that I work in, Alpine County, it is so incredibly small. Everybody knows everybody. Just to give our listeners a feel on how small it is, it is the least populated county in all of California. The last census, so we'll be waiting on the 2020 census to see if this has changed. But in 2010, uh, there was 1,200 people in the entire county. Wow. So very, very small. so tiny. And some people will say that that number includes some dogs. So very... like (laughs) Like it more. Everybody knows everybody. You know, if you're new in the community, people know you're new in the community. And so I came in, like I was saying, you know, we get so passionate about, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have this role. I want to do this. I want to do this. And I, you know, myself walking in this room as a privileged white person, talking about domestic violence and sexual assault to this room full of Native American people is like, I I couldn't just do that, you know? There had to be relationship right. building. I had to go to the luncheons. I had to really meet people and have conversations and not come to them as like, I am Brietta, I am an expert in sexual assault. Let's talk about sexual assault. I had to come to it as, My name's Brianna. This is a little bit about me. Tell me a little bit about you. Let's connect on a human level. Let's get to know each other. Let's see where our commonalities are just on that human level. And I've shared on this podcast before that I am a survivor of, of abuse. And that's something that I share openly. And sometimes I'll say that, that, you know, I am coming to this work as a survivor and it's not as this like expert who read it in a book like i'm talking to you about this and i know that because i come from a place of privilege we have completely different experiences on this but that's again one of those commonalities where it's like we have all these differences but here's where we can connect and here's where we have this conversation and now that i've been in this office for about four and a half years I'm very protective of making sure that anyone new in the county also builds that relationship. You know, when we have a new staff member who is working in the Tahoe office, maybe comes down, wants to like learn about Alpine, you know, which we love. We love to share our community and all of its uniqueness. But if someone's coming down and expecting that they're going to waltz into a presentation with me, I'm very protective over that because I know that that takes work to build that relationship and to really let the community know that like, hey, I'm not just here like eight to five because someone's paying me and then I'm going to go home and be like a completely different person. Like this is who I am. This is what I'm sharing with you. And I want to have us both learn from this experience you know it's not just me or us coming in as you better listen to us because we know what we're talking about because we come from this organization like in some ways they might know more than me in some subjects and so leaving the space for those conversations to happen that was definitely something that I didn't really anticipate coming in, you know, interview and day one and day two of the job, I didn't anticipate that I was really going to grow that much, even just as a human being and having those relational conversations. But I'm so thankful for that experience. And I'm also so anxious to when we can get back to that and going to the luncheons again and all of that, because it's kind of going to start that process over again. There's been over a year of time that I haven't really been able to connect with people on that casual level of like, hey, how's it going? You know, that just doesn't happen like it should over Zoom or over phone calls. It just it's different. And so I think some of that will actually have to start over. So I'll probably be learning that over again when we can all meet in person absolutely
1: Bree. thank you so much for i think highlighting you know how important it is to be culturally responsive um and then also with that being said you know the importance of also addressing and highlighting you know the privilege that we all have you know because in some way we all have some type of privilege over somebody else and so i think that's something that's so critical and important and i've worked in alpine for a short amount of time and i definitely learned that you you know, have to build trust to kind of build those relationships and build that rapport, right? And so um thank you so much for sharing that with us. And so the second thing I've learned um working in this field is how common sexual abuse, child abuse, and domestic violence is, right? I think when you are a survivor of abuse and once, you know, when you have experienced that abuse, in that moment you always feel alone, right? At least for me. Um I definitely felt alone. Um you know, during those experiences, I felt like I had no one to talk to, I just felt isolated, right? And it's so important to know that you are not alone, right? Um, And it is common to feel alone as a victim or survivor of abuse. And so it's really important for us to not feel alone, to kind of break that taboo of talking about it, right? Um, One thing that we always often say is, violence thrives in silence and so again you know it's so important to kind of dig deep you know search for our inner voice and speak up about what has happened to us right not for others but really for ourselves that way we're able to connect with someone get the support and the help that you need so you're not just dealing with what you have experienced but healing from it right because there's such a big difference um and so for me you know i think it was a life-changing um, experience when I took our CIT training. And so for those Mm -hmm. who are not so familiar, um, with CIT, it's a crisis intervention training. It's about an 80 hour training that we provide through live islands free, completely free. And you know, in that training, we address, so many different topics, right? We've addressed child abuse, obviously sexual abuse, domestic violence, teen dating violence, human trafficking. Um, You know, we talk about uh, different complex topics. When I started taking that training six years ago, I clearly remember feeling like I just had an epiphany, right, Um, and just Mm -hmm. to say the least, I also felt like my feelings were validated for once, without me even telling my story, without me even talking about mm-hmm. what I had experienced, um, and you know the types of abuse I had experienced. Um, I felt so validated, just so validated to hear what you know that facilitator was saying, which was you know um, what child abuse looks like, you know uh, some of the red flags, you know what you feel in a situation like that, how a child feels. And I just felt like, oh, my God, like, no wonder I felt like that as a kid. No wonder I felt like something was wrong. Right. Um, Yeah. But there are so many times that we don't self-identify. Right. It's not like we're like, oh, I've experienced this type of abuse as a child. Right. Or, you know, as a child to be like, I'm experiencing child abuse or child sexual abuse. Right. Right. Um, But really going through that training really helped me kind of open up the door of healing because at that time in my life i was dealing with so much and i thought you know it's in the past i'll leave it in the past i've moved on you know i'm I'm older i'm better i'm more wise i'm more outspoken um but not really dealing with what i had experienced because i never really identified what i had experienced right um i knew that my childhood was not healthy um i knew i did not like, you know, how I felt in my own home, feeling unsafe and uncomfortable many times. And so, you know, for me, it was just such a validating experience for me to just hear them say, you know, there's no excuse for abuse. That is not okay. That is not what a child should be growing up in. Um, That's not what a safe environment is. And so, you know, again, it was just such a life-changing experience. And I learned through that training that... Uh, it is so common to experience sexual abuse, child abuse, and domestic violence, right? And it really kind of helped me feel not alone. Like, I'm not the only one that has experienced this. I also felt validate, validated. And then I also felt like, you know, I could possibly connect with someone, you know, I, I shouldn't feel ashamed of what I have experienced. So, you know, to me, even though I kind of wrote this down as like the second thing I've learned. This is one of, I think, one of the best experiences um, for me, even just working with Live Violence Free and attending that training. It has been a life changing experience. And I really mean that where it has really shaped me um, into becoming who I want to become. It has really helped me address a lot of things I did not want to address and that I kind of was either in denial about or just wanted to just forget about and so you know uh, lesson learned <laughs> you cannot do yeah. that um but yes <laughs> right. again, you know it is more common than you think so definitely if you're experiencing any type of abuse you know speak up find your inner voice and you know uh, connect with someone once you are comfortable and feel safe to do so
2: i think that's cit class for all of us i feel like we've all had one of those like aha moments yes. sitting in that CIT class, and it might have looked different for all of us, but I feel like, yeah, they're um, again, if any listeners out there maybe are like hearing about this and you're curious or you're interested, it's incredible. I mean, yes, it's an undertaking, yes, we said 80 hours, and it's 80 hours. They're about it's three hours long
0: over what, a couple months. It's not yes. like two straight work weeks or anything we like keep that. You. Yeah. We keep you locked <laughs> down
2: for like 12 hour sessions. No. Um, but yes, they are three hour classes. I mean, it, it really is like a, it's almost like a college one-on-one on all of these topics. And yeah. when I say one-on-one, yeah. I feel like that dilutes it a little bit because it's not a one-on-one like we really, We really dive into everything, not just talking about assault and what it is, but we break down the different types of perpetrators and the different types of individuals who assault and and the motivations. Mm -hmm. Like It's so comprehensive. Um, But I really do appreciate that whole thought, JC, because it really just speaks to right you having your aha moment, being validated, and just hearing dialogue and language that allowed you to really understand what you had been through and really process that. I think that's the most important part, not only about our CIT class, but with this podcast, with everything we do, right? Because Mm -hmm. it really comes down, I think, for a lot of people, it's just that language. And Brianna spoke, this is probably two episodes ago, but you said we're talking about your experience, um, being a survivor. And you said at the time, I didn't really think of it that way because I had an idea in my head of what an assault was. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's violent or loud and Mm -hmm. you know, there's damage and there's injury and that's not what happened to me. And it took me a long time. And when you said that it allowed me to kind of process in that same way. Right. And there's been things that like I've been working on in my own experiences. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's, exactly where i am with a situation that i had been through right and so again that's why we're so stoked just to be able to come here and even though some days it's hard for us some days we're sharing personal stuff we're really hoping listeners out there maybe yeah kind of have that aha moment for themselves maybe right. can get to a point where you're able to process uh, but that being said i think we also kind of just talked about how there's a lot of misconceptions with relationships right with how you don't want to talk about them with how we kind of think we maybe are alone or isolated in this but no it's very common um and so my second thing that i'll share that i learned is that there is so many misconceptions on abusive relationships for assaults uh, and i will be so transparent before coming into this field of course you know these things mattered to me in certain ways, but did I have like the education knowledge and all of this kind of like resource and, um, dialogue with me to kind of like carry out these missions or, you know, participate in this? No, I didn't have that. Right. So before I was in this field, there was a lot of misconceptions that I really didn't, recognize at the time or misconceptions or maybe when things were said on the news or maybe when those kind of victim blaming questions were asked well why was she wearing that or why did she go to that party or why would she drink that much and hang out with those guys you know I wasn't like yeah but in my head I was kind of like hmm interesting question right like at the time I think I was just so ingrained with everything else going on in society with all of the ways that we have our common misconceptions about these things that I was just kind of roped into it right it took me going through CIT. It took me really learning a lot about these dynamics, why it happens, what the motivation is for me to finally like pull those cultural lenses back and understand like, wow, these are all just things that we are totally placing blame where we shouldn't be. Or maybe we're just like not honoring people that are going through this and why. Right. And so I think for everybody just to understand that we're not saying you have to like Agree with us or like what we're saying, but even just to start identifying that maybe, maybe you're one of those people right now that does watch the news and hear those stories, or you hear about assaults that have happened. And maybe, yeah, maybe you're kind of on that level where it's like, well, yeah, why were they there? Or, you know, why are you going to ruin that guy's life? This just seems silly, right? So maybe, again, maybe you're not going to like walk away being like, wow, they've totally changed my mind. But maybe you could say, are some of these misconceptions or are some of these things we're saying about this helpful and hey, if maybe um, more people at least just kind of question things like that, we've done a great job here. So yes, all I can say is just remind yourself of that. Um, and this is something, again, we're so deeply ingrained in this work. I mean, we are going to, I don't even know how many hours of training we get a year on all the subject matter. It's extensive and constant. So Mm -hmm. do we know what we're talking about when we're saying there's misconceptions? We do. It's not just like a personal opinion base over here. It comes from years and hours and hours and hours of this knowledge. And so I think that's one of the biggest things I can also kind of share with our listeners today. Just
0: keep that in mind. There's a lot
2: of misconceptions.
0: Yeah. One phrase that came to mind while you were talking, Lisa, is you don't know what you don't know. So I think if you're living in the world and you're just being fed everything that the news is feeding you and you're taking everything as, you know, that's the way that it is. And I think now, especially with social media, there's a much better discourse around um, being more aware of how we're using our language in reporting stories and how we're talking about survivors and all of that. But all the misconceptions still exist. They're still out there. They still reach people. And so going through trainings like CIT or being exposed to content, like maybe listening to this podcast or educating yourself through reading a, a book about sexual assault or domestic violence, or it's just something like that, exposing yourself to that content, you're now learning what you didn't know before, and you're able mm-hmm. to be better and to to have more knowledge around those things. So that was just something that came up when you were talking about that. Out. <laughs> My second one is just meeting people where they're at, and that phrase has always like grammatically bugged me. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> just, just every time I say it, I hate like ending it in at for some reason, but it's, it's really like it. it is, but. I don't know how else to say it. So, meeting people where they're at. Another thing that I learned, you know, onboarding onto this job was how much we really are a one stop shop for survivors, for people experiencing abuse and violence. You know, we have domestic violence programs, we have sexual assault programs, we have housing, we have legal, we have parent visitation um, services. Like, there's so much. And you would kind of think from the outside looking in, like, okay, someone experiencing violence, if they're identifying they're, they're experiencing violence, they come to Live Violence Free, they access everything they need, give them a couple months, they're good to go, they're well on their way, we're done, we're good, smooth, easy process. I don't think it's ever happened like that with any of my clients that I've worked with.
3: Um, I was like, that
0: sounds so nice. Right. We would love for it to happen like that, but it doesn't because we can't expect everyone to come to our services and to be ready to access everything that we have to offer, even though it's there for them, they have to be ready. It's just like leaving that abusive relationship. There's nothing we can do, even if we say, you know, we have this rent program available, we have this therapy program that you can get in the next day or something like that, you know, even if we do that for them, it still has to be on them for when they're ready and where they are, what they're going through. And so that was a learning curve for me too, because, you know, I want everyone who deserves or can access these services to access these services, but it's on them where they are. There's so many factors that play into someone being ready to really leave that relationship to change their life. You know, it really is a big transformation of your life. If you have maybe grown up in child abuse, and then you're realizing that that's not what you deserve. And we have services for you. But that's a major life change from what you grew up with. And so that's going to take time. That's not going to be something that's just like, oh, I'm going to go to therapy for three months. We're good to go. My life is better. Like it's Everyone is on their own process. And we just have to remember that the person coming to us for services is who is in charge. We can present them with this platter of what we have to offer. They get to pick up what they're ready to pick up and the rest we'll we'll keep we'll keep on that platter, you know, we'll keep offering that platter, but it is completely up to them for what they are ready to take. I love that platter metaphor. That's like a yeah. perfect way
2: of yeah really just highlighting that and it also reminds me of like being at my mom's house when she's just constantly with like a whole tray of food yes. like, you want something? and you're like no i'm good she's like it's here though yeah so it's like yes feel free to grab
1: some <laughs> when you're ready yeah mm-hmm. no i love that brain i think that's something that's so critical and important and something we've learned as advocates right and i think just as a supportive person we learn that you know you can't try to get someone somewhere where they are not ready to get yet you know Mm -hmm. it's really important to kind of meet them like you mentioned where they're at and just let them know that we're here to support them every situation is so unique right every single survivor of abuse has different barriers and so we treat it as that you know we treat their situation as a unique situation and we're just there to support them so thank you so much for highlighting that Um, So the third thing I've learned working in the field is how important and crucial prevention education and awareness on abuse is. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, taking CIT was just such a life-changing, you know, um, situation and experience for me. And with that being said, it's something that I've learned also through the prevention work that I've done, right? Um, I always think back and, um, you know, just in regards to what Lisa, Brie, and I do, you know, in our communities where we go um, and do prevention education in every single school. We talk about body safety. We talk about relationships. We talk about trusting adults, right? And I just think back to when I was in school and I'm like, I did not receive any of that. Like, oh my God, that would have literally mm-hmm. changed my life, right? I would have responded in such a different way to what I had experienced in my childhood if I would have had that information. And so I always just think to myself, like, God, prevention education is so important. And not just a prevention education, but, you know, awareness around A lot of the topics that we talk about, right, Um, because it can really begin those important conversations. And that's why we, we, you know, we came up with this podcast, One Conversation, right, Um, because it can literally change someone's life. And so, again, you know, there are many victims of abuse that experience abuse and don't even realize it, right? Or don't even identify it as abuse. And so it's so important to have these conversations, even though sometimes it may be uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to having these conversations. Um, But especially when it comes to child sexual abuse, right? Um, We know that communication is key to preventing child sexual abuse and i've had many conversations with many different parents and different you know outlets in my life whether it's in my personal or work life and i've had a lot of parents that are hesitant to talk to their child about child sexual abuse right Um, and i explain to them that you're not going to be like oh let's talk about child sexual abuse to your like six-year-old right Um, you are going to use obviously language that is appropriate for them and that they'll understand but it's so important to just open up, you know, a dialogue in regards to it, right? And have that conversation. And sometimes you'll see adults that are hesitant to do that because they think that it may not be the appropriate time or they're too young, but they're never too young to have these conversations, right? One thing that we've learned is that, you know, typically those people that hurt children often tell the child to keep it a secret, right? Or they may Mm -hmm. even threaten to hurt the child or, you know, we'll make them believe it's their fault. And so it's super important to have these conversations and kind of do some of that preventative work, uh, right? And kind of reassure them that if something ever happens, they should speak up and you're going to be there to support them um, and to listen to them and to believe them, right? Um, And it's something that often we see also with domestic violence victims and sexual abuse victims as well, right? When um, they are experiencing abuse, a lot of times the abuser is using is using threats as well, right or making them feel like it is their fault. And so again, you know, it's so important that we do prevention education and that we raise awareness around abuse. Uh, just a, uh, I just want to quickly highlight intergenerational cycle because it's something that is real, right? And so someone that has grown up seeing abuse may think that abuse is normal may think, you know, that may be their norm. Um, And so what happens is they pass that on as well, right? So now if they've witnessed domestic violence or have experienced child abuse, right? um, And they get into a relationship or they have children, that's something that they're going to possibly mimic and pass on as well, and it just never ends. And so it's so important, again, to kind of raise that awareness and have those conversations. And yes, it's awkward. And yes, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't really want to have this conversation. It's difficult for me, but it can really make a difference. And, you know, just really quickly, personally, um, something that I realized is that sexual violence is an intergenerational uh, cycle in my family, right, without even realizing it. And so, you know, I've mentioned before that, um, I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast, but, you know, when I disclose my sexual abuse, I accept. Ex- Um, I disclosed it to my mom, and her reaction kind of discouraged me to ever speak up about it again. Um, It was kind of normalized, or just kind of made seem like that's not something you talk about, right? Um, Because, you know, you want to make sure people see you as a lady. And so for me, at that age, it was so confusing. Like, I felt like I did something wrong, right? And I felt like, I couldn't say anything about it. I felt like I couldn't even tell my dad, right? Cause that was mostly her concern, um, him finding out and wanting to do something or, you know, respond mm-hmm. to someone hurting me. And so I kept it to myself, right? And I lived in constant fear because that person was a family member and they were around all the time, which was obviously very triggering. And, you know, I verbally was not expressing the pain and hurt that I felt. But my behavior was definitely <laughs> doing that for me. You know, my behavior, you know, went from being a kid that had great grades to um and always, you know, getting awards and always just exceeding because I've always been highly competitive in anything I've ever done. And um, I went from being that girl to a girl that was struggling, a girl that could not sleep at night and would fall asleep in class and a girl that did not want to sleep alone. It was just a lot, you know, um, and I did not know how to deal with it, you know, as a child and then teenager, but as an adult, I started having these conversations with my mom because I realized that I needed to have that conversation to really heal from what had happened and to really address like, why did you respond in that way? Because I have a daughter now Mm -hmm. and I, can never imagine myself making her feel that alone right um or even invisible because that's how i felt um and you know she explained to me what she had experienced and then i find out like what you know other people in my family had experienced and i was in just disbelief and shock and it allowed me to better connect with my mom obviously i will never really understand um, her reaction and response but it allows me to feel connected to her and at least kind of come from a place of openness, like, okay, you know, I can kind of see why you would normalize this, right. Or why you would not react in a different way, because this was also a norm that you, you know, that you experienced growing up. And so, um, literally having these conversations have changed my life and in my own family's life. Like, We always talk about now safety and even having like get togethers with family, I'm all about making sure that we're supervising the children, that we are being mindful that there are adults and children in the same place, making sure that the environment is healthy and comfortable for all. And it has taken years, but we finally have gotten to that place. And it's all because we have, you know, had these conversations and have raised awareness, even within our small circle, right? And so when I say awareness, it's not always just, you know, to the community community and to strangers. I'm talking about your inner circle, right? Which can yeah. be big and can really be life-changing. And it has been, you know, and that's why uh, when people ask me like, what drives you? why do you do this difficult work? And I'm like, because it has changed my life completely. And I know it can yeah. change others yeah. and it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. Like
2: sad and just beautiful story though. I just love hearing that ultimately the best thing that could have happened was you all having conversations because you kind of being armored up with that information and walking in could like recognize right like if something wasn't exactly healthy or wasn't exactly you know or maybe being normalized when this action or this behavior like should not be normalized and so i love hearing that you bringing those conversations which were probably the first time a lot of your family members maybe had heard a lot of that information right and had an opportunity yeah. to discuss that with somebody right that was open and non-judgmental and able to really deliver that information to them in a way where they could receive that i think it's such a beautiful kind of ending to that story and i want to go back to you saying man if i just had this information when i was a kid or if i just had yes. these classes the amount of times I have heard that in these five years, if I had a quarter for every single person that told me, like including myself, like, man, if I had this when I was younger, it would have changed my life. If I had a quarter for every time someone said that, I'd be
0: retired on my yacht right now. We, we could <laughs> all be retired with you off of those quarters.
1: <laughs> my whole family would have Tesla, <laughs> Having a great time.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Honestly, we would be filthy rich because we have I've just heard it and heard it and heard it. And even, yeah, thinking about, my age, um, I'm going to be 33 this year, but um, in my age, you know, and I feel like in this weird middle, I'm like very adult, but not quite very adult yet. I think at my age, because I grew up in Pennsylvania, I grew up in a small town, um, went to a really, really nice school, a very high rated high school, technically, right, especially that part of the country. Uh, But we had nothing close to any of these conversations, like sex ed was it. And sex ed was like, oh, really didn't teach us much of anything besides just like (laughs) Mm -hmm. anatomical body language and things like that but like nothing on the process of relationships or you know healthy behavior we just didn't get that you know and so yeah i think about all the times i have tripped and uh stumbled and just like awkwardly pursued right like treading into these relationships and situations that like Oh, if I only knew this stuff, I would not have bothered to keep treading into this choppy water. Right. And so, yeah, I just had to bring that up. I think everybody I've spoken to is always like, wow, you guys teach what classes like that's incredible. Um, And if you think that, hey, again, kind of what we're saying, right, we have that power within our inner circle. We have the power to even if we're not like educators, but maybe we did take time to really thoroughly learn something you listen to one of our podcasts you're watching ted talks you're really diving in you're on some of these websites that are giving you such great resources of course you could take that back to your family of course you could have those conversations with your friends Mm
1: -hmm. and yeah we know
2: they're not easy we're like the queens of we do this all the time and some days it's easy and some days it's really not so we get that um but is it worth it absolutely right because really you could be creating part of that, like, oh, wow, I wish more people knew this or wow, I wish I knew this. Well, it's like, well, hey, you could be doing something like that for someone else. Right. You could be giving them that little gem of information. And so, again, JC, thank you, though, for just being so vulnerable and sharing all of that. And so I'm going to kind of like circle back a little bit because my next thing that I've learned we've been kind of touching on this is that We can't save anyone. And I know we just brought that up again, right? People have to be in the right place. We could offer that little buffet tray, but it's like at your complete, um, you know, explode like whatever you wanna take at whatever time you wanna take this, it's completely up to you, right? It's your choice. Um, And so I really think for me as well. I'm just very much a person. I've always been the kind of person that's just there for my friends, that's there for others. I don't care what's going on for me. Part of my, like, I had to learn boundaries. Part of my, like, first thing, right? Um, I would always, no matter what, just try to jump in and, like, help somebody. So if someone was going through something, like, I just want to be there. I don't care if I'm at zero like if I could just sit with you like what can I do right and so I think coming into this field um and being really personally attached to a lot of this and in my own way right where I'm still doing my own work and figuring out where I am in my survivorship right or my victimization of certain things I just was so passionate I just would hear people's experiences and like my first go-to right? Was just like, God, I just want to save you. But immediately, like I knew with our training, like that's not my approach and I can't Mm -hmm. do that. And it was so challenging at first because I, I did like, especially with some kids, like I just wanted to like swoop them up and like superhero fly them away. Right? Like you really have that feeling and it's, you know, it's so important that I reminded myself and kind of switched that language. It's not like me not literally removing them from the situation and like a superhero quality isn't me helping them. I'm still helping them and I'm helping them a lot more because if I'm trying to take this approach and just get them out of there, like, what is that doing? I'm not giving them any skills. Um, They're probably going to go right back to the situation with family or with, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or friends or whatever's happening to them, right? And if I just try to swoop them up, like, yeah, I'm not Batman. I can't, you can't just flash a light and I'll just like come down from the sky and grab you and take you. That's just not... It's really creepy and that's just like shouldn't be how this works <laughs> right it's like I should be empowering you so when you need it you can slip on your little light and you can like armor yourself up in your little superhero suit right and do that work and so that was a really big thing that I had to process that just because I'm not like again saving them um that I am still helping them and that's actually way more impactful for that person and I think once I kind of made that mental switch so much of this became I won't say easier. It just became like a lot uh, easier for me to process in that way, for sure. So instead of just like worrying and worrying and worrying, it's like, well, I gave them all these tools. I gave them all these skills. They know they have me. They have all these other people that we've just kind of blanketed them with support at their discretion. If they wanna reach out, they can. And that's been a huge, hugely important reframing process for me
1: it's very difficult definitely not to feel like sometimes you know um you can't just go in there and swoop them in and rescue them and take them out of the situation because you don't want to create that dependency right we want to kind of help them become a healthy person in regards to making them feel empowered and making yeah. them feel independent and allowing them to kind of gain that experience because most likely if they were in an abusive relationship, right, or they, you know, are growing up in a household where they are being abused, you know, they feel like no, they have no power and control. And so for us, we always say we want to help them gain that, you know, power and control right. again and make them feel, you know, empowered and make them feel supported. But yes, it's yeah. sometimes so difficult to feel like, you know, you can't just swoop them, in, swoop in and rescue them mm-hmm. out of a situation that you know, you know, is horrible, and it just breaks your heart sometimes. Um, but yes, I think we all practice that self-control in regards to like, I can't adopt every child or foster every child <laughs> that is experiencing yep. something so difficult, right? My partner would be like, again, we're discussing this again.
3: But um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for me,
1: it's like just knowing that, you know, the best thing we can do is just support them and empower them and let them know that they deserve to feel respected. And we will be here to support them through that process.
2: And how disempowering too, if you think someone doesn't trust that you could even help yourself, like we may not be saying that, but in a way it's kind of like, that's maybe the energy I'm putting out there. Right. And I can't even imagine feeling that disempowered that someone even again with their best intentions just basically gave me a feeling like I don't trust that you can figure this out by yourself. So you clearly need saving. Right. And so I think that especially, right. That was a huge,
0: yeah, a huge changing moment as well. Yeah. Thank you for those visuals. Lisa, when you're talking about sweeping by and scooping people up, I could think about a few youth (laughs) that I've worked with and I'm like, yes, I would love that. But so true. So true. your point you just had of, you know, giving them that power and control back and us knowing that they have the ability to choose what they know is best for their own situation. They are the expert on their own right. lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm going to circle back to our uh, sex ed conversation just one more time, just to reiterate that every single one of us feels this way. This is my number three and uh, okay. So when I was in high school, Part of my sex ed, this was not actually during the class. This was an assembly that I believe, let's see, I was a freshman at the time. I might've been a sophomore. So it might've been all grades that had to go to this assembly because I was at most a sophomore.
2: They put you all, the whole school, in the auditorium for the sex ed. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Wow.
0: And, okay, I'm like, I can't wait okay. to hear how this goes. The, so I had like health class, you know, but this was a separate, they brought in these presenters, this oh traveling organization that went across the country with this spiel for students about sex ed. Bless them, bless their hearts off the bat. Well, hold on. Oh no. It was called <laughs> No Ringy, No Dingy stop stop oh my God.
1: I am so I, are, so I am dead
0: serious
1: <laughs>
2: oh were they like so mad when all the kids couldn't take it seriously because I bet they were like you need to sit down and listen to this and you're all like is this a joke right now oh, like really everyone was joking about is it name?
0: yeah but this was like a legit like they traveled across the country to different high schools presenting this no ringy, no dingy. I mean, okay. (laughs) The one thing they had going for them is that I still, what am I at? 10 years, however many years since my sophomore year, I remember that phrase.
1: It's catchy. Yeah, it's definitely catchy.
0: (laughs) That's one thing we'll give them on that. Like, we're going to remember this for sure. So to kind of bring it back on a little bit of a, well, yeah, more of a serious note on that. I was in a relationship at that time, and I was sitting next to the person I was in that relationship with during that assembly. We heard all of that content together, did all of the jokes about it together, and I was sexually assaulted by that person that afternoon. So when we talk about, we wish that we had different education about this, that's one of those stories where that really drives that home. And where we really mean that is, if that was a presentation by someone who was talking about consent, and what consent looks like what healthy relationships look like. Yes, that could have changed that afternoon for me. You know, just going the total abstinence base, no ringy, no dingy. And even people were joking about like, Oh, go get her a ring pop, and then it's good to go. You know, like, (laughs) Thank goodness we've come a long way from that. But I think in some areas, I don't think we really have come a long way from that. And we've all said it that we've talked to people who said, I wish we had this education. I think we all three agree that we wish we had that education because i got the same thing i think the first time i learned what sex was was in seventh grade i remember being completely baffled by it like i had not i had no spoilers before health class that is legitimately where i learned (laughs) i feel like nowadays with social media and all that it's more rare that you get a seventh grader who doesn't already know but that was me i was totally caught off guard by it and it was just all of the anatomical stuff and the diseases Mm -hmm. and all of that. It was nothing about this is what you deserve in relationships, this is the emotional component that comes along with engaging in these activities, none of that. And so that's part of why I am so passionate about making sure that youth now get that. And I tell them, like I wish that I had someone who was giving you this information. Like, even if this seems kind of awkward to talk about, it's yeah. so important for you to at least be exposed to this and to at least have someone starting that conversation because no ringy, no dingy does not do it.
1: <laughs> does not cut it.
2: They made like such a platform.
0: <laughs> yeah, they made such a platform for like a million
2: different creative jokes to come out about that name that yes. they really set themselves up. <laughs> for just like oh for failure on that one but i think it is so interesting because we're not knocking that children should know or like young teens should know anatomical body language you know verbiage or should oh right that needs to be part of it or should understand like sex and actually like yeah diseases and pregnancy and how that works but like are we saying that i mean at like seventh grade level or early high school level that we should also have a conversation on like healthy relationships along with that? Like, of course we should, right? We're going to hope and assume that kids are going to get to a relationship before they get into the sex element, right? So it's kind of just like, makes sense that those things are going to kind of come before that, right? They're going to, you know, the relationship and those awkward stumbly stages of like being attracted and like, you know, initiating hookups or being romantic with your partner, like all of that Hopefully, is going to come just before the the act of sexual intercourse. So, should we be teaching them? Yes, we should. And I think there's a the big, scary misconception that you're putting ideas in kids' heads. I don't know. I, I know these are two vastly different subjects, but I also know a huge misconception. We're talking about suicide prevention, right? The Mm -hmm. big thing to do is if someone's feeling that way is to directly ask them, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about harming yourself? And some people hear that. They're like, why would you say that? Like, that's going to put the idea in their head. It's like, no it's not that idea is already there but at least now they have somebody that they could talk about it with and hopefully Mm -hmm. yeah navigate that situation a little differently and for me i feel like it's the exact same thing here Mm -hmm. you can just deny it and put it off but like we're human beings it's just in our nature at some point these things are going to be of interest and happen and the more we're just you know putting in the no ringy no digging people into the seed, right to kind of like here take care of it like i just Mm -hmm. don't think I just don't think it's really taking care of no. it, you know um it did not
1: <laughs> yeah and i think with youth having access to the internet now and social media like it's even oh, more yeah. important right like it's so important for them to know this important important information because they're getting other information from different areas right that may not be healthy or appropriate for them um yes. so yeah that's why like have that conversation And Bree, thank you so much for sharing. And I just want to say, like, I can definitely see, you know, you being passionate about talking to youth um, about this. Like, I've seen that. And I think it's amazing. And I'm just, like, connecting all the dots because I think a lot of the things that we are all so passionate about. It's because of some of those personal experiences we've had, you yeah. know, even though they've been so difficult and challenging, I always say I don't regret anything that I've ever experienced because it has made me who I am now. And I love who I am now. And I would never be able mm-hmm. to say that, you know, 10 years ago, like I would have had a really hard time even saying that I like the person that I was then. And so um, I think, you know, it's it has shaped us and it has made us to you know um has made us become this like beautiful person at least i know i think you're all beautiful inside and out but you know the fourth thing that i've learned is the importance of transparency and vulnerability i think it's something that's crucial in any relationship right and when i say this and i say relationship i don't just mean in an intimate relationship right i mean this in your friendships Um, and the relationships you have with your peers and colleagues at work. Right. Um, or, you know, for you, you know, the relationships you have with your classmates and again, with your friends, um, also with your family members. And so it's something that you don't often see. And I know that, you know, I've definitely have experienced this and it has been challenging for me to even be vulnerable and transparent in my relationships. But now that I have been practicing this, it has really changed my life. Right completely as well, where, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit less guarded. I feel like my relationships have improved. The communication piece definitely 100 times more. Um, I used to tend to keep things to myself. So something bothered me. um, It wasn't that I didn't want to express it. I was just so afraid of hurting the other person's feelings or making them feel like they did something bad. Right. And so I would keep it to myself. But then I would get to that point where I could no longer keep any more secrets, and I just like would explode, right, with like yeah. all these different um, feelings and emotions because it was just too much of me withholding all of this and not being able, not feeling like I was able to express myself, or you know that feeling of also feeling like you're, you know, not being validated. Or no one is listening to you but i wasn't speaking up and so one thing that i've learned is it's so important to be transparent and vulnerable and i'm going to give you an example um you know i had a disagreement with someone and it was just because so i had a disagreement with someone and you know i thought we hashed it out was like okay you know it's, it was a disagreement it's normal to disagree you know i'm hoping i can move forward with this person but then I hear from other people that this person is saying negative things about me. And it just seems like a back and forth thing is going on. And I just don't like that type of environment or I just don't like feeling that type of tension. I'm just a person that tries to get along with everyone, regardless yeah. of who they are. I know that we're all different. So sometimes we are going to not agree, right? But I would say it's okay to agree to disagree. Um, but it got to that point where I felt like when that person was around me, there was so much tension around, you know, and I felt like they felt that tension and I felt that tension. And then people around us were feeling that tension. And I was just so, you know, surprised by the things that I was hearing where I was like, I thought we were okay. I'm not sure what's going on. And the first few days I kind of kept it to myself. And then my leadership coach reminded me of the importance of being vulnerable. Right. And when, you know, a situation arises where it needs your attention, you know, it's so important to respond within. She would always say within 24 to 48 hours, right? And I did not like that time frame because I need time to talk. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know what? Third day going into this, I was like, I need to address this. Like, it's so important that I address this. It's something that's critical. It's something that's affecting my environment. I'm sure it's affecting her environment. Like, I just need to hash it out. And so I talked with this person and I started off by just letting them know, you know, that, you know, I heard some things and I'm not saying that I believe them, but I'm coming from a place of openness because, you know, it really hurt my feelings to hear those things and i said i'm not saying they're true or not but i'm wanting to come to you so that we can have a conversation because for me it's so important that we are on the same page and you know i thought we had kind of an agreement to move forward and i was telling her you know i I really want to move forward like i you know i know we don't have to be friends but i would love to feel that mutual respect and feel like we're comfortable with one another you know And she was completely surprised and unaware of why these things were being said. And she's like, I actually didn't feel the tension from you. I felt it from someone else that was always around you. (laughs) She's like, so if you felt tension from me, it's not because of you. And, We had this full on conversation about a misunderstanding, right? And I had made it into this big thing about how she probably doesn't like me. And, you know, I don't know what's going on. And she's really hurting my feelings. And I just learned so much from that situation. Like it, it was so uncomfortable for me to just be very vulnerable and open about how it hurt my feelings and how I thought, you know, we were okay, because I'm not that type of person. And I just, the positive, you know, reaction and response that I got from her taught me so much. Like, and not even that, but someone witnessed, you know, I guess they didn't care the whole conversation, but witnessed and somewhat heard the conversation and was like, oh my God, like, you know, thank you so much for doing that. Like, I mm-hmm. really love how you modeled that, like that, you know, She and I felt like it also changed the dynamic, you know, between other people and that person and me. And so, you know, for me, it was like, oh, my God, it was such a simple conversation that I was avoiding. And, you know, that's not the only, um, you know, way that I've been transparent, but it was really something that, you know, taught me. Sometimes we make things into something that's bigger when we're not transparent and we're not we're, we're not being vulnerable, right? And sometimes we feel like we're not being heard or we're not being seen or we feel like someone is taking us for granted, but we're also not speaking up, right? We're also not communicating, we're also not being raw. We're also not connecting with someone because really that's how you connect with someone, right? And so, you know, for me it's like god, this is something that's so important not just in my work life, but like, you know, in my personal life and anything that I do in any relationship that I have, like, I need to be vulnerable. I need to be transparent. It's not always easy, but it's needed, right? To just have those conversations and be able to discuss something that maybe is bothering you or something that's triggering you, or maybe something that you just want someone else to know about you, you know, because sometimes that's what it is. And so for me, I've learned that, You know, I have felt so empowered being vulnerable and raw. And it has taken me even many years to talk about the abuse that I have experienced. This is something new for me. I typically don't discuss it or talk about it. And it's not that I feel ashamed or that I feel guilty or that I am like, you know, um, embarrassed about what has happened to me, it has nothing to do with that. It's more of me. Feeling uncomfortable with being vulnerable, right? And so, you know, one of my goals with my therapist is to be more vulnerable because it has really helped me feel empowered and it has really helped me kind of embrace who I am, you know. Um, And so, you know, to all our listeners, you know, try to be transparent and vulnerable. You know, whenever you feel comfortable to do so, it can take baby steps, but it can really make a difference, you know, with your relationships with others and even the relationship that you have with yourself. Love all of that. And I think we've shared this just in our last episode on
2: boundaries. We talked about how sometimes having those conversations feel so awkward. I don't know why, but we're just
0: mm-hmm.
2: we're terrified. We're so embarrassed by everything. If we feel something about someone or, you know, if we have feelings for somebody or if we're like feeling like hurt or something, like we're always so quick to like get embarrassed and feel ashamed. And, you know, we talked about, yeah, it might feel awkward and having this like five minute conversation of like, Hey, can we just talk about, right? Like what's going on between you and I, is there some weird tension? Like that seems so awkward. Like I just want to like light on fire. That's so awkward, but what's more awkward, right? is going through your relationship with all of these awkward moments, we'd much rather you, and you're going to feel probably a lot better. Right. And I love that JC is open and vulnerable, practicing your vulnerability here enough, right. To share Uh that and, and, and really talk about how like really it was so awkward. But like, after we had that conversation, like everything was cleared up like oh it's like a miscommunication and now other people feel comfortable and now other people are feeling empowered that like I did this you know so we just really encourage you yeah as awkward as things may be we get it none of us are perfect none of us because we're educated on this stuff, walk into conversations and like know exactly what we're doing or don't feel any of those typical normal feelings. We totally do. But we also are just really primed with that understanding that yes, this may be uncomfortable, but is it going to maybe save this entire relationship or years or weeks or whatever amount of time of being uncomfortable? Yeah. And that's totally worth it.
1: And I just want to highlight really quickly that there's always like that misconception or that label that if you are sensitive or emotional, right, or show any type of sadness, or if you're crying, that that means that you're weak, right, or that you are not strong enough. And it's completely the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I really feel like that is A strength to be able to do that because what is very difficult is to be raw and be yourself and be vulnerable and so i always say like that is the definition of really being strong right um but there is kind of like that misconception of you know yeah if you cry or you know uh women or girls tend to be emotional or you know get uh or it's too touchy feeling, you know um and make it they make it seem like it's not okay and for men and boys it's like you're only strong if you don't show emotions right or you don't show your feelings and so no that's the complete opposite you know it takes strength to show how you really feel and to be raw and to be vulnerable
2: yeah i will totally support that as well i will say personally in my life, the times, and I'm surrounded by a lot of like really strong men in my life. I have two brothers and those like, you know, were some of my closest, obviously like confidants growing up. They're still my best friends to this day. My brothers and I, right? We're so close. And I'll say just with them or other men that I've had in my life, either, you know, as friends or partners, the times where I have seen them cry, I have literally never, I've never for a second thought like, oh, wow, you look so weak right now. And to be honest, the only thought I've ever had when my brothers or when one of my good friends or a partner I was with, like, honestly, just got to the point where like, they just let it out and just needed to cry in my head. And I'm like, this is not a lie, y'all. I have always been like, wow, like you are. Like, I'm so proud. And like, I've always been in such awe and saw that as such a powerful thing for men to do. And of course, I'm not talking about like, if they like, spill their coffee, and they like, weep. No, I don't think anyone (laughs) doing that will be like, Oh, my God, I love this. Like, no, anyone could be like, super weepy all the time. And I'm sure none of us would really appreciate it. Right. But especially again, for men, right. And just having that raw vulnerable moment, I've only ever felt like, wow like you are i don't know just like seeing them in this whole new light like i i remember seeing um by one of my good friends who's a guy uh going through something really really delicate in a situation in a relationship and he started crying and i was like dude you've and he like was kind of like brushing tears back like uh and started almost getting like a little embarrassed and i was like dude honestly you've never been more manly right now and he thought i was like <laughs> joking at first too so he's like oh shut up you know and i was like no like Seriously? Because I was like, I see you tough all the time. And right now sitting in front of me, like you're this real man that's like having a real conversation with me. And it's just like getting emotional. I was like, no, I'm I'm not even joking with you. So I just wanted to share that out there, right? Because again, I know our culture just like constantly a spoon feeding every one of us that men can't have emotions that that's like feminized especially to men right just like you can never cry and that's not being a man and so i also want to be here with a nice little helping on a spoon be like you can and Mm -hmm. we actually really appreciate it and that's coming from like a a real woman you know this is just real thoughts um so moving back into this and this is I think all of my little touch points and things i've learned have always kind of correlated back with other things we've said but my fourth thing that i've learned in this field is that people are incredibly resilient um and kind of talking about that right like need to like save people and all of that i've really come to a point um where understanding especially victims and survivors individuals who have gone through abuse and trauma um they are really some of the strongest people I have ever met in my life and, mm-hmm. and is really just like the truth um, and I will never forget a specific conversation that I had and it really let this moment really sink in because it really affected me really personally uh, this is back a few years ago I did a presentation for fourth graders afterwards um, a young fourth grade girl um, called me aside to disclose with me that she was experiencing some of the things we talked about in the presentation and so of course we've talked about this in prior episodes we are very very trained to not react to not show emotional reaction right and so you know her and I went outside and she's disclosing with me she's telling me all about these ugh, physical verbal emotional punishments and abuse and all these things that she was dealing with like constantly at home and of course I'm not showing any big reactions to her right it's very just there with her in the moment and very process oriented as to you know I have to fill out this report but I'm still very present with you and just want and you can tell me as much or as little right And honestly, uh, you know, I did the whole thing, I did the report and I supported her and walking off of campus, I was like feeling all of it because it was was Mm -hmm. so much, it was so much, it was so triggering. It was things that like really re-traumatized me a little bit and then, I mean, I didn't, I thank God I made it to my car and it was like I shut the door and just shut down, like head in my hands. I sat in that elementary school parking lot for, I want to say about 40 minutes. I, I took my lunch, my lunch time that day was just me, uh, just needing that like weep time in my car. And it was the first time I had really had a big, big, big disclosure. And just again, for some reason, just her and those experiences just hit me. And I was like in my car and I was like crying and I was thinking to myself like, Oh my God, like, I feel like, so just like sad and like worried and just upset. And then my mind went to, but wow, like, she's not crying like this like she went back to class
0: yeah yeah
2: and she not only could tell me about this but she's living through it every day she told me about this stuff and it was like again of course i'm not reacting emotionally but in my head i'm like ah. and she was telling me so matter of fact that it it was just something you could tell she knew it was wrong um but it was just to her just something well this just happens to me every day and now that you brought it up like yeah so this happens and that happened and it took me that moment. And I really sat there and thought like, Oh my God, she is so like, I'm sitting here feeling like I feel a little bit broken from hearing that. And I'm kind of like, how dare me? Because again, Mm. she's the one going through it and she's the one that could just tell me that. So matter of fact, this little fourth grader with her little like light up shoes on and just go back into class and just be like, Of course, there's emotional levels there, right? I'm sure she wasn't just fully like, oh, I'm just brushing it off, but still the level that she was just existing there, it really made me think like, oh my God, um, I can be strong right now because she is like the strongest person I've ever met. And she's a fourth grade girl. And so that was a huge eye opener for me and really allowed in other times hearing maybe equally as, um, heavy disclosures or challenging things, just really reminding myself that although it's awful and sometimes like, wow, I'm just like, maybe I'm upset or just like, of course, I don't want you to be going through this. My understanding is that you're resilient enough to get through it. And that doesn't have to be like what I weep about in my car is like you going back home and how are you going to deal with it? Cause you're clearly strong enough. Um, again, I hate that you're dealing with it, but, you're clearly strong enough to. And so that was like a really big, I don't know if y'all have ever had a moment like that doing this work early on. uh, But that
1: was a huge, that was a game changer for me. It honestly was. Yeah. That's so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, it's definitely sometimes difficult to detach ourselves from situations like that. Right. Because we typically do this so often that we're like, so survivor and victim focused and driven. Right. Um, And we're like, Oh, you know we're just focusing on them, we're putting our feelings aside. but when you actually get that chance to be alone and kind of process what has happened, it can sometimes yeah be very triggering or just really yeah. affect us emotionally And I definitely had that when I had to accompany someone to get a um, a rape kit done and I clearly remember being so strong and doing such a great job at being there for them and I thought it was fine. I clearly thought I was fine. I got home I remember my partner asking me like, how's everything? Is everything okay? Like, you know, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. I'm okay. And I sat down on the couch. And I just felt like all these feelings rushing into my body. And Mm -hmm. I started feeling anxious. And I had to get up and move around. And I shot I went to go shower, because I felt like, Oh, God, I don't want to pass this on to my children, you know, who have been waiting for me to be because I've been gone all day and I went to shower and I just cried it all out (laughs) and I clearly remember telling myself like it's okay it's okay like you are processing this it's okay to cry let it out and then you'll be okay and then yeah I like got out of the shower felt better and continued on but yes sometimes it can be very very triggering
0: yeah it's such hard work that we do and my fourth point is kind of touching on that that People around us recognize how difficult, I'm maybe not to the extent that we do, you know, because it's hard to really know how you're going to react or how it feels to be working in this field until you're actually in it. But my fourth thing that I've taken away from working in this field is every time someone casually brings up like, hey, what do you do for work? Or uh, where do you work? You know, that kind of thing. I Always fun. I talk about this with my coworker. Um, it always goes one of two ways. And I want to see if you guys agree with this. Okay. One way that it can go, and I say, Oh, I work for a domestic violence and sexual assault organization. And one way that it goes is, Oh, that's awesome. That's such incredible work. Like, yep. oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. I could never do that. Like, that's amazing. You know, that's the first way it goes. Second way it goes is, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: So I don't know how to respond
2: to that. About this other yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're like, I don't know how to tread that water at all.
0: Yes. So my my coworker, Sarah, and I know she listens to our podcast. So hi, Sarah. Um <laughs> we always tell each other like, hey, so uh, I told someone where I worked the other day and we're like, which way did it go? (laughs) Because it's always, it is that black and white, like they're either, oh my gosh, that's so cool and good for you or okay.
2: Every time I will
0: validate that. It's every
2: time. Yeah. And it's mostly those people that are like, oh, wow. And sometimes I've had fun things thrown in. They're like, oh, wow, that sounds like a really fun job. And I'm like, it's meaningful, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, but it's it's always that uh, one or two ways. It's either like, oh wow, or like, ooh, just like slowly backing up and backing away from the
0: right. Like you're working with someone, who you're filling out like an application for a, a home loan or something like that. You know, and they have to ask it, and it's either a, that totally stops them in their tracks. Then you have a five minute conversation about it, or they're like, okay. And um, what's your address? <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and moving on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that is so funny, Bree, but I think what you said is so accurate. I have definitely experienced that. Absolutely. Like, yes, it's definitely, you're doing such a great job or thank you for what you do. You know, right. uh, you're amazing. Or definitely the, oh, or just crickets. Like I experienced yes. that with Uber driver. <laughs> I clearly remember him being so chatty. Like, literally, I had no moment of silence in that car ride. And this is uh, in one of our Orange County trainings that we had for uh, one of the conferences. And I wanted to go to the mall. And it was like, I want to say a little over 20 minutes the whole time, but seriously, not stop talking. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I like to talk too. So we're chatting it away. (laughs) And he literally asked me, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a human trafficking educator. And then it was like, just completely stop talking. And I even looked over, like, uh, did you hear me or are you alive? Like, what he's I like, on? Oh, I
2: heard you. Yeah. I just don't know how to respond to that. If anyone ever needs like a solution, like if you're ever maybe in an Uber or like in a oh, some guy approaches you at the yes. bar and he's like, Hey, what do you do? If you ever want the out, I guess we're saying this is actually sometimes a really good out. You could just be like, Oh, I work with
0: human trafficking. They'll be like,
1: It works. Oh, it is it, you know, it works
0: perfect response at bars because if they're trying to like come on to you and you're like oh yeah i work in sexual assault they're like
1: okay (laughs) or you might
2: find that gem of a guy that's like oh wow that's really great and like i think victim blaming is a problem and you'd be like oh wow hello there right (laughs) and then you'd be like if we have a ringy um...
0: then just kidding (laughs) And those people come busting out like she remembered. We're effective. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, sorry I had to throw that in there. No, I love it. I love
1: it.
2: This whole episode was us just going off the rails. Yeah.
1: And Bray, I don't think we'll ever remember that line. I mean we'll ever forget that line. Okay. Yep, That'll no. like now be Yes. in my thoughts, uh, we're having too much fun here. Uh, we, are moving, <laughs> we are moving into our fifth thing that we've learned in this field. And so, um, you know, my fifth thing is just simply, it is okay to not be okay. Right. Um, and I just think it's so important to highlight that we're all humans and we are all going to experience, ups and downs, right? Um, we're all going to have challenging moments in our lives. Um, you know, we are all either a daughter, you know, son, mother, uh, you know, service provider, teenager, survivor, right? Um, and with that being said, we all have some type of responsibility, right? Where we're trying to take care of someone or be there for someone but you cannot be there for someone or take care of someone without taking care of yourself, right, and it's something that's so critical and that we have talked about, you know, very often, but it's something that we can continue to talk about because we need to hear it as more, you know, as much as possible, Um, and with that being said, you know it's okay like lisa mentioned to place those boundaries you know it's okay to say no or take a step back so that you're able to take care of yourself right if you're noticing that you're burnt out which happens very often if you are helping others right um it's so important that you take a step back to take care of yourself and to love yourself, and to fill up, you know, what I call your love gas tank, right? Because you can't drive or go anywhere if your tank, your tank, your tank is empty, right? And so it's so important for you to be able to take care of yourself, to be able to take care of someone else. And so, with that being said, I often say that for some reason we sometimes feel guilty, right, when we are taking care of ourselves, or we feel selfish. But no, you know, we need to step away from that. If you are feeling that way, that is a perfect sign that you are not taking care of yourself enough. Right. Um, And it's super healthy for you to take some time to take care of yourself and for you to know that for you to be able to push forward and give your best in anything that you do, you have to feel your best. And so, again, you know, um, sometimes we'll try to like move forward, even though we're burnt out or even though we are drained or even though we are being triggered, right? Or we are experiencing something very challenging. We will try to move forward and act like nothing is going on or try to put on that, you know, work mask or whatever mask you need to put on to keep on going, right? But it eventually always shows up and becomes visible to others. And I have definitely learned that. Um, And I just want to say also that it's important to have a support system that will support you taking care of yourself. Right. And I will just say that at Live Islands Free, I feel very lucky. I have never felt so supported in a job ever in my life um, where Mm -hmm. I have had days where I'm like, I am just having a difficult time with something that I'm experiencing. And, you know, or I'm feeling burnt out. And I get nothing but understanding and, you know, consent to be like, oh, take care of yourself, take the day off, don't worry. And so it's such a great feeling to have. And it just reminds me that, yes, like I am a priority. I am worthy of, you know, of time, of love. And we have to remind ourselves of that, you know, who better than yourself, right? So again, you know, It's okay to not be okay. Um, And if you're not okay, take care of yourself, connect with someone that can help you and support you and take the time because you are worthy.
2: Love that. What a beautiful message to send. Cause I think, yeah, we all really need to just hear that a lot more. You know, it's easy for us to just cast ourselves aside sometimes, especially if you are mothers and we're just, we fill a million other roles of being um, a partner, sister, brother, whatever that is, you know, so, so important that we take that time. So my last piece, um, my last thing I've learned in this field, and of course, you know, it's not just these five things we've all learned. There's a million. It was challenging for me to kind of narrow my list down. Um, but the fifth thing I'll introduce here today is something I've learned is that there's always a way to discuss a challenging topic with somebody. Um, so whether that be, you know, we kind of talked about this before, you know, maybe you're worried about introducing something at a young age to kids, right? Because you don't think it's developmentally appropriate. There's always a way mm-hmm. to appropriately have that conversation another quick thing too we kind of talked about this earlier and brianna was like oh i literally learned sex from sex ed we're like that's so unique because now there's media and so that doesn't happen yeah that's the truth there's no longer what we call like a sequence of revealed secrets for kids right because when we were little Mm. we didn't have media so all of these things like that santa Like, who's listening right now? Should I be saying this stuff? I don't think any, no children should be listening to this conversation. So like, you know, Santa's not real, right? At a certain age, like the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy and like that, like sex exists and what that is, right? Like when we were younger, it was like, we were kind of figuring out this sequence of revealed secrets. Like, oh, like Santa's not real. Oh, the Easter bunny's not real either. And like, oh my gosh. And like, that's what adults do. Like, this is what a relationship is. So we don't have that. We have kids going off and learning it on their own. There's no sequence when they can just, be on their phone and suddenly um a pornography ad pops up right as they're like on this little gaming site or these things start to happen and so if you're worried about having these conversations with you know especially children um again there's always a way to do it and at this point you're gonna do it way better than some website or some person or some video they're gonna be watching is gonna teach them that information at least you then get to control that right so definitely keeping that in mind but even when it comes to just challenging conversations when somebody just has a completely different mindset than you um, we've talked a lot about the importance of body language of your tone of just how you open up a non-judgmental space for other people to disclose or discuss something with you and that's so important and you know it's really given me a chance to just kind of like what Brie said before, kind of meeting people where they're at, even if it's mentally, right? Even if it's like the way I view the world, the way I see these issues. And so it, you know, it was really um, a big moment for me to start really kind of like training in that and how to have these conversations and and why it's so important to respond a certain way. And it's, and it's not even about changing someone's mind, but it's just the opportunity that like if someone really vocalize something that is just like like way outside of my values right and i really feel like i could have that conversation right like maybe yes like i would love to almost empower you with this other piece of information as well there's a very strong possibility i think especially now culturally we're very caught up in like you think this way i think that way that's just it we can't talk we can't agree and it's very sad to me because again we don't have to change each other's minds but Can we literally just meet in the middle and communicate in a way that's not like I'm right, you're wrong, or like you're stupid and I'm smart? Yeah, there's a million ways we can do that. And it's important to look into that. And so I think that's a big one to take away. Um, And if anyone's having challenges with that, I know we've had plenty of episodes talking about how to talk to survivors and just being appropriate in those ways. A lot of that carries over for just having difficult conversations. So I really encourage you to go back and listen, listen into those if you have not yet.
0: All right, rounding us out, my fifth one, and it's pretty simple. Take the PTO, the paid time off, the vacation days, the sick days, take them. My little story with this is I came to this job with my most previous job being waitressing, and so obviously no benefit package there, no paid days off there. When I interviewed with our agency, it wasn't even a question on my mind. I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, normally when you interview, that's something you like even negotiate is like the benefits package, you know?
1: It wasn't until
0: I started getting the paperwork for us to like fill out stuff to get health insurance and all of that, I was like, oh, I get health insurance? Like, that's cool, oh. Wait, what's that on my paycheck? Like, what what is this? What are these hours on my paycheck? What do those do? (laughs) We have vacations
2: here. What does that look like? It was such a foreign thing.
0: And if you're in a job, in a position where you can take that time, take it. It is there for you to rest and recharge. And I know whenever I have some days where you know, I'm taking a a day off because maybe I had something in the morning and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna take the rest of the day off. Like, you know, give your agency the time ahead of time and do all of the protocol that you need to do for that. (laughs) However, take the time, it is there for you. Don't let it just like get to the max. And then you're like, oh, I have to come up with an excuse, you know, like make sure you're taking care of yourself along this journey in whatever you do, take the time.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Um, With that being said, I feel like we had such a great conversation. We talked about vulnerability. We talked about boundaries. We talked about being resilient. We talked about sex. We talked about so much. Yeah, (laughs) we we did. Yeah. We hope that, you know, our learned experiences will make a difference or just shed a, a new light for you. You know, it's so important to know that having conversations like that are so meaningful, it can really make such a big difference, you know, and that's why we say one conversation can change a life. And so um, our amazing Lisa will be leading our meditation. Awesome. So
2: what I want to do today, this is not going to be very long, but especially thinking about some of these things that we just learned and shared, right? A lot of them are boundaries and being vulnerable. So what I want to do today is a little meditation where we focus on an element that we think we need, right? So maybe that could be a level of calm. Maybe it's patience. Maybe I need more boundaries. Maybe I need to be more vulnerable. So I want our listeners and my other co-hosts who are going to be meditating to just start finding yourself to your comfortable little seated position. But at the same time, I want you to start thinking about what your word is. Maybe it's just, yeah, kindness to myself. Maybe it's calmness.
3: And as we take our nice deep breath in through our nose, really visualize that word. Big exhale. Gently close your eyes, take a deep breath in. and out. Keep taking nice slow breaths in and out. While you're taking these breaths, I want you to visualize that word in your mind. Whatever your word is, whatever you're inviting yourself to bring more to your day, whether it's calm, whether it's vulnerability, With every inhale and exhale, imagine that word growing larger. With Every inhale, imagine yourself kind of drinking in from this word. With every exhale, imagine yourself really sending your intention out towards it. So you're breathing in and embodying You're exhaling your intentions out to the universe. If you find your mind getting distracted, you can feel free to repeat this word silently to yourself with every inhale Every exhale. On your next inhale, grow that word even larger in your mind. And exhale. Again, grow it even larger on your exhale. Breathe in, grow that word as large as you can. And on this exhale, I want you to blow it away like a dandelion. Take a deep breath in and hold it and exhale. One more, the biggest breath you can, really fill your lungs and hold and exhale. And slowly go back to your normal breathing start to wiggle around in your seat a little bit waking your body up you can wiggle your fingers and toes roll your wrists and ankles make any adjustments you need to and for the rest of the day If you ever feel like maybe I need a little bit more of that calm or I'm not being as open as I said I would in my intentions,
2: you know, I want you to kind of breathe back into it, right? And just kind of do that little visualization. Imagine if you're like, wait, I just need more patience. I'm going to take a deep breath in, growing that word in my mind, and I'm just going to send it out there, right? Hopefully you took some time during that meditation and maybe, yeah, focused on, maybe something we took out of this or something that you recognized, right? That maybe you need more of in your life or um, something that would just better serves you to kind of have that be more of a upfront thought in your mind. So yeah, I really hope that some of our listeners um, maybe are walking away, feeling a little more empowered
0: after that meditation. Yes, thank you for that, Lisa. And thank you everyone for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to having you back for our next conversation. Don't forget to take PTO.